Thank you, Ethan. Good morning, church. We're glad that you're with us today, and if you're watching online, we're glad to have you here. We wish you were actually here and hope the day comes when you feel comfortable doing that, but if you're watching in our community or far off, uh, we are glad to have you with us today. Did you enjoy summer? Now that we've moved into fall, it's kind of weird outside. Uh, Connie Maple's here with us this morning. She told me that Memorial Road, uh, our brothers and sisters up the road, we're going to have worship outdoors today. So I kind of expected to have extra folks with us today, uh, but we wish them well in a, a nice warm blanket. Um, Wilshire is blessed to have several educators who worship, uh, who are part of this church. And uh, so some of them finished school last week and hit the road. And so we have some gaps in our auditorium today. We wish them well and safe trips and uh, for a much-deserved, well-deserved break. But this evening, as has already been announced, we're going to celebrate our seniors. And I really love the way Andrew and Tony do this. It's, it's for the whole church to come and celebrate. Because... Um, these guys and gals are just as much a part of this church as anyone else. And I think one of the important things we do is to bless them in their next step and to remind them that we are still their family, even when they change chapters in their life. And so I hope that uh, if you're able to, you'll join us five o'clock this evening. There'll be food and we'll get to see our seniors uh, but I really appreciate that we do that and uh, invite you to be part of that. Okay, before we get to the actual sermon proper, I need to talk shop for a little bit about how we write sermons. Jim and I are big believers that good sermons take the text of Scripture seriously, which means whenever someone is going to stand up to preach, we hope that person, ourselves especially included, will wrestle with the text, that will read the text, will try to understand as best we can what it is God is saying to those first readers, and then what God is saying to us today. And so we spend a lot of time reading and wrestling and trying to figure things out, but then one of the hardest moves of preaching, I know this is shop talk, but say with it. One of the hardest things of preaching is then stepping back and asking, how do I get the church, the people listening, to see how this story or how this scripture has anything to do with their life? So, once upon a time in a land far, far away to a different culture, a different time, even in a different language, God spoke this word but our belief and our claim is that that word still speaks to us today. And so one of, the, one of the hard parts of preaching is to get you to see that what we're reading in the story, reading in the text, is still God speaking to you. So one of the ways we do that is through illustrations. A good illustration is, is an art form in preaching and teaching. You want that, that illustration 
that speaks to your present life in a way that you hear the text. Uh, that's just part of the behind the scenes of preaching. But, but think about it. We like good illustrations. Larry Journey once told me, he said, you know, you can preach the same sermon twice as long as you change the illustration. But you can never use the same illustration twice, even a different story, because people remember illustrations and they remember them well. I tried this at Wilshire once, and lo and behold, Rose Nussbaum found me afterwards and she said, you've used that illustration before, haven't you? Thank you, Rose. But it was a good illustration. But we have, this, we have this tendency to remember the illustration, but not remember the sermon itself. Have you noticed that? It's one of the tricks, one of the trades, one of the parts of the preaching that's so difficult. Old Testament prophets took sermon illustration to a whole other level. I mean, when you read through the prophets, you find some powerful things. Ezekiel was told by God, when your wife dies, Ezekiel, I don't want you to mourn or to wear any sackcloth. Don't cry for your wife. It was an illustration of the pain that Israel was going to go through in the loss of their temple. And God was trying to get Ezekiel to portray this in a very powerful way. Jeremiah was told to avoid funerals and not even get married as a sign of the pain and, and the, the emptiness that Israel would experience when God brought about his judgment. Isaiah was told to walk around naked and barefoot for three years. Baird don't get any ideas. I mean, it was a powerful illustration of the pain and the shame and all that, that Israel was going to experience when God stepped in. So this morning in our series on hard love, I want to show you a painful story to illustrate a powerful point. And this illustration is one used by Hosea. Now I say illustration, I, I don't mean by that it's not real. Because I think the story of Hosea actually happened. I think God actually calls Hosea to step into this story and experience this as a way to help Hosea understand and then communicate to the people of God a deep truth about the nature of love. I saw a, I saw a mug that on it said, uh, Preacher, caution, anything you say or do may be used in a sermon illustration. Some of the sermon illustrations that work the best are the real ones, not the made-up ones, but the ones from real life. And what you find in the book of Hosea is a painful, real-life illustration. And it begins with God's call in Hosea's life. Chapter 1 and verse 2. Go, take for yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. I promise you, you would not forget that illustration. 
God says, I want you to go out and marry someone who is a prostitute. Now, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not exactly sure how that really mean, how, how that plays out in the text. I don't know if God is saying, go marry someone who's already unfaithful, who's already a prostitute, or I want you to marry someone that I know is going to be unfaithful to you. I, I don't understand it, and the text is not entirely clear. It seems as the story plays out that her unfaithfulness uh, has something to do with idolatrous worship, and prostitution was part of that practice in the ancient world, especially in Baal practice. And, and so she may be a temple prophetess prostitute. But whatever it is, the scandal is that the preacher's wife is a prostitute in the book of Hosea. What do you do with a story like that? Can you imagine how many times had Hosea's parents prayed that God would lead the right woman into his life, and he brings her home. How many times had Hosea prayed, God, give me a good woman who will love me, who will trust me, who I can love and I can trust, and then one day God sends you out to marry a prostitute. But because Hosea is committed to the call of God in his life, he does exactly what God sends him to do. And then Hosea does something that, again, to talk shop for a minute, Hosea does something as a preacher, the book does, to basically tell you why this is happening. Like the preacher saying, I'm going to use this illustration to help you understand this message. So as I tell the story, as I illustrate this, listen for this through this lens. And the book of Hosea tells you the lens and the reason for this weird, painful illustration. Chapter 1 and verse 2. Because the land is guilty of the vilest idol adultery and departing from the Lord. Hosea, I want you to do this because this, this scandalous story, illustrates the scandalous relationship between Israel and me. And so as people watch your story and your pain unfold, I want them to understand something about how our story, God and Israel, is unfolding. So when you see the pain in Hosea's life, and you see the unfaithfulness in his wife's life, and when you see the children and how they're involved in all this, I want you to see this not just as Hosea's story, I want you to see it as all of our story. And then Hosea returns to the illustration. We're supposed to see all of this through a deeper lens. So, Hosea goes out and he meets Gomer. We don't know how, we don't know where, we don't know much else about it other than Hosea meets this woman named Gomer and they get married. And lo and behold, it's not long before they begin having family photos and you see children in those photos. They have three children. Now, most of you guys know Delaina is a teacher and when we had children... 
All of you who have had children know the process of naming children. It can be a tricky thing. People buy these books of names. And I saw on a website the other day the top 100 names in America in 2022. But one of the things, if you're married to a teacher about naming your child, is that every name that sounds great to you, the teacher spouse will say, no, there's a kid in my class. I do not want that name on my child. <laughs> Those of your teachers know exactly what I'm saying. Who knows what our kids would have been named if not for the conduct of other people named that. But as you read the story of Hosea, pay attention to what they name their children. Because even what you put on their birth certificate, Hosea, is going to be an illustration. Child number one, Jezreel. Sounds like a pleasant name, does it? Jezreel's a pretty place in Israel, I'm told. But if you read deeper, you find out Jezreel is the place where a violent, bloody coup took place in the history of Israel. It would be similar to naming your child Chernobyl or Auschwitz. Stand on your front porch and call for that kid to come home at dinner time. The moment that name is spoken, images of pain begin to reel through your mind. And God says, child number one, Jezreel. They have another kid. And God says, I want you to name her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. Who names their child not loved? There's a third child born, Lo-Ami. That name means not my people. Even Hosea's children are brought into this illustration. You know what it's like to be a preacher's kid and your dad is always using you as a sermon illustration? Hosea brings his children into this illustration. And there's one other thing about this story that is cloudy and uncertain, and that is Hosea tells you, the book Hosea tells you, that Gomer gives Hosea the firstborn child. We don't know if the other two kids are actually Hosea's kids. The language changes, and then you're naming them not my child, not my people. Has Gomer already committed adultery in this relationship that even Hosea says, I don't know if you're my kid or not? You see how painful this illustration is? And then Hosea chapter 2, the marriage falls apart. I grew up in one of those intact families, and when I turned 16, my family, my parents divorced. And some of you in the auditorium this morning have personally experienced what it's like for a marriage to collapse, and you've seen the pain that happens in divorce. Or some of your children, like me, who watched it up close and, and felt every bit of pain of that. And when you read Hosea chapter 2, I'm, I'm warning you, it is ugly and it is painful. And for those of us who've experienced it, it hits way too close to home. Let me show you some of it. Chapter 2 and verse 1. Say to your brother Ami and to your sister Rumah, plead with your mother. 
Plead for she is not my wife. I am not her husband. She has put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness to turn her into a parched land to kill her. When you watch divorce happen and children get thrown into the middle of this thing, And God says, tell your mother, she's not my wife. What you find in Hosea 2 is this excruciatingly painful failure of a marriage. This is more than just a sermon illustration. Hosea is living this. And God says, Hosea, there's something in your life that I need to teach people about my covenant love. And so, the divorce proceedings of Hosea chapter 2, that I'll drive you out, you won't have anything, you'll be left with nothing, is a painful story. But then Hosea chapter 3, and God sends Hosea down to the auction block to bring his wife home. I want you to go down there, and Hosea, I want you to outbid everyone else who's trying to buy this prostitute. I want you to buy your wife back and bring her home. Can you imagine If you're Hosea doing that, after all she's put you through, after all the untrust, after all the the disgust, after all the pain, and after all the destruction, to go back and to take this woman back? That's asking too much. Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to me, Go, love a woman who has a lover and is an adulteress, Just as the Lord loves his people. Though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes, Hosea says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley and a measure of wine. And I said to her, You must remain as mine for many days and you not play the harlot anymore. You're going to forget that illustration if the preacher stood in front of the church and says, let me tell you about my family. Let me tell you about the week we've had. My wife, she walked out on us. My wife, she slept with who knows how many other people. My kids, I don't even know if they're my kids. And I went down and I begged her to come back. And I, and I pleaded with her to come home. And after all she's done and all she's put me through and everything that my family has experienced because of her indices, because of her poor decisions and her unfaithfulness, I went and brought her home. And we are rebuilding our marriage and we are putting it back together and it is still painful. And just as the church is sitting there aghast at what this preacher would disclose about his family, about what he would say about all this thing, the preacher says, and you've treated God exactly the way my wife treated me. And God 
wants you back. And God is pleading with you to come home. You're going to forget that sermon illustration? That's exactly how the book of Hosea unfolds. Wow. So we've been talking about in our series about hard love. And if ever a prophet tapped into the pain of that, Hosea did. I just want to show you quickly a few lessons along the way. Because Hosea 1, 2, and 3 set up the story. It tells the illustration. The sermon begins with the illustration. And then Hosea chapter 4 through the end of the book is several different messages and, and sermons and, and moments through Hosea trying to tell the people what God has been trying to do in their life and warning the people. And, and I have to say at the beginning of this, or I guess towards the middle, I scared some of you, didn't I? Is that you have to be careful with Hosea because there are critics of Scripture who read Hosea and they take messages out of Hosea that Hosea didn't put in there and God doesn't intend for us to get. If you're in an abusive relationship, an abusive uh, marriage, the book of Hosea does not justify you staying there and accepting the abuse. Get out protect yourself. But that's a different message than the one Hosea is trying to teach here. Hosea is trying to show you what faithful, committed love looks like through the eyes of God. And as you read Hosea, there are a few things about hard love you find. One of the lessons is hard love often gives without getting. As Hosea unpacks this story, he says a few things to show you a glimpse into what's going on. Chapter 2 and verse 5, I will go after my lovers, says his adulterous wife. They give me bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. But look at chapter 2 and verse 8. Hosea says, she did not know. I was the one giving her the grain, the wine and the oil who lavished upon her all of this stuff. She thinks it's everybody else giving her stuff. And Hosea says, I'm the one who've been, who's been taking care of you. I'm the one who sacrificed for you. I'm the one who gave you a life. And sometimes hard love will give and it's never appreciated. It will give away and it never receives in return. Love is not determined by what you receive, but by what you give. And one of the problems with Hosea, the problem with Gomer, is she didn't understand that. And the message God is trying to give to the people of Israel is, don't you realize I am the one who gave you life? I am the one who gives you everything you have. Why do you go turn to Baal? Why do you serve and follow a God who can't do anything for you? Hard love. It's the same call in our life today that when you fail to realize what God is doing for you, 
you'll fail to give thanks and praise to God who gave it. That's why thanksgiving and gratitude should be a regular rhythm of life. Because when you wake up and you realize, my eyes open today, my lungs filled with air, because God made that possible. How else do you respond? When anything good happens in life, James says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of life. And when you understand that, how can you not worship the God who does that? And yet God gave that to Israel and God gives that to us even when we don't return that. Hard love often gives without getting. The second lesson you might learn as you read through the book of Hosea in this horrid example and illustration, hard love often sees what can be, not what has been. Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14 is such an interesting language. It's still playing with this imagery of marriage and relationships. And in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14, Hosea says, I'm going to court my wife again. Chapter 2 and verse 14, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. I will give her the vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she shall respond as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. He's back and forth with the imagery. On that day, the Lord, you will call me my husband, and will no longer will you call me my Baal. I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and she will be mentioned by name no more. I will make for you a covenant on that day with wild animals, the birds of the air, the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow and the sword of war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I will take you for my wife forever, and I will take you for my wife in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and in mercy. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And again, it's the sermon illustration in Hosea chapter 2. He goes from his own life to the life of Israel and the message and the story, and he blends it in such a way that you're like, are we talking about Hosea and Gomer or God and Israel? And Hosea says both. I'm going to win my wife back. She was unfaithful to me, but I can see a better future, and I can see what could be in this relationship, not everything that has happened in the past. Again, this comes with caution. Don't make more of Hosea's example than he's trying to make. Do not stay in unsafe relationships. But sometimes true love has to look to the future instead of dwelling in the past. You have been hurt and you have been crushed. And if you stay in that gear, it's hard to love again. It's hard to love when all you can think about is the pain that happened back there instead of saying, we can do something better. And think about your life and think about the relationship. If you wake up and every day you're focused on how others have hurt you, it will make loving nearly impossible. And Hosea shows us that hard love looks forward, not just backwards. 
Another message Hosea will show you, chapter 6 and verse 6, is that hard love means your motive matters. Love is about more than going through the motions. In our modern setting, think about this. Have you, have you ever had someone say, I love you? And they flood you with praise and they flood you with stuff, but they treat you like less than? In the hell of domestic violence, a man will beat his wife or sometimes a woman will beat her husband and then they say, I'm sorry, I'll never let it happen again, I'll buy you anything you want, please just take me back. But that is stuck on repeat? For news junkies, you've been watching this terrible marriage blow up in a courtroom between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And it's that vile cycle. These two people claim to love each other, and yet they're screaming at each other, and they're doing everything they can to kill each other, it seems like. But, I'm sorry, I'll never let it happen again. I didn't mean it. I wasn't thinking right. That's not what love looks like. And yet, sometimes we do that to God. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 is a famous text quoted in the New Testament. God says, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, the sacrifice and burnt offerings are the things we take to God in the Old Testament that say, I love you, God, I brought this bull, I brought this goat, I've offered this sacrifice, I love you, and then you walk out and you don't show mercy? It's the same thing of domestic violence. I love you, I'll never do it again, and then you do it again. True love is not just about the actions that look like Love, it's, behind, it's the motives behind what you're doing. Don't buy flowers if you don't love them. Don't say I'm sorry if you're not sorry. And don't sing praises to God if you're not going to show mercy to others. True love, hard love, means my motives have to be pure too. Jesus quotes Hosea chapter 6 when he confronts the Pharisees. He, he's eating dinner with tax collectors and the Pharisees walk by and say, how can he do that? How can you eat with people who live like that? We're the righteous ones. We're the ones who go through the motions and we're the ones who, who say the right things and teach the right things and offer the right sacrifices and wear the right things. We're the holy ones. How can you eat with them? And Jesus says, why don't you go back and read your Bible? Because your Bible says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Motive matters with hard love. Talk about a sermon that the people of Hosea's day would find hard to forget. You think about it on, <laughs> they go back to work, talking about church. What did your, your preacher talk about yet? Our preacher 
got up and told us about his family and what a mess. But God says, your story is in Hosea's story. The most important covenant, aside from our relationship with God, is the covenant we make in marriage. Now, they did it differently in Hosea's day. There wasn't churches and all that stuff, but they they had their procedure. But, But for those of you who are married, do you remember what it was like to stand in front of a crowd full of people and pledge to love your spouse in sickness and in health, in richer and in poorer, forsaking all others until death do us part. That's a picture of hard love. No matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what other options present themselves, I'm going to love you. Forever. And some of you are too painfully aware of what it feels like and what it looks like when someone in that marriage doesn't keep that promise. God sends Hosea to say, tap into that pain. Because when they understand their relationship and their pain, then maybe they can understand better my covenant with them. I've always loved the way Harold Schenck framed the book of Hosea in his commentary. He said, Hosea reads more like a love letter than systematic theology. More like a peek into God's personal diary than a sermon. More like an exploration of God's heart than a journey through his mind. If the Gospels explore the meaning of God becoming human, then Hosea describes what happens when humans are allowed to see what it means to be God. Hosea, I want my people back. I want people to worship me, not Baal. Baal has not blessed them. And I want to bless them. Hosea, I'm going to take you on this journey that will show exactly what I feel. Hosea's illustration and sermon is so powerful because it is hard to remember the point of that sermon. Even as you remember the illustration, God loves us even when we have run away from Him. God loves us even when we have been unfaithful and unlovable. But what would this world look like if we learned to love the way God loves us? I desire mercy, steadfast love. That's hard love. This morning, in the name of Jesus Christ, I offer you the invitation of Christ. Who, while we were still sinners, died for us.
That was hard love. And God knowing that we would struggle to accept that and struggle to commit to that, he raised his son to vindicate his love. And he offers you the opportunity to share in the love of God in the discipleship of Jesus this morning through giving your life to him and trusting in his power to save. If you need to respond to that invitation, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.